You're listening to Symmetry Health 360. This episode was brought to you by Symmetry Coding and Oasis eSolutions, the leading experts in QAP coding and CMS rulings in home health and hospice. Today's episode is hosted by Janan Griffin, Principal, Senior Vice President, Coding, Charles Bresnicki, Senior Clinical Consulting Manager, and John Rabia, Director, Operations Consulting. Join these experts for today's episode, Beyond Star Ratings, What Impacts Patient Satisfaction Scores? We're back today to talk about value-based purchasing. I'm Janon Griffin. I'm one of the principals over the Coding and Oasis Department here at Symmetry. John? Thanks, Janon. John Ruby. I'm a director with our Operations Consulting Department at Symmetry. I'm a physical therapist by training uh, with 20 years of experience in the post-acute space from clinician to manager to executive over both operations and uh, quality. And I'll hand over to Charlie. Thanks, John. My name is Charlie Brezniki. I'm one of the directors on the, the uh, operations team at Symmetry. I'm a registered nurse uh, with over 15 years of experience in home health, working as a field nurse, a manager, and then a lot of time uh, in the quality and the, and the compliance realm. All right, here we are talking about the subject everybody wants to talk about in home care is value-based purchasing. We're gonna just start little, Charlie, What's the differences in percentiles and percentages? <laughs> For the measures, there's really three main measures. There's your claims-based, your OASIS-based, and your survey-based measures. Your OASIS-based and your claims-based measures make up 35% of your total performance score each. And your survey-based or the HCAPS-based make up 30% of that total performance score. That The uh, total performance score, you can get up to 100 points. So if you think about it as the survey, you can get a maximum of 30 points. Claims-based, you can get 35 points. And Oasis-based, you can get a maximum of 35 points as well. And there's a bunch of, there's 12 different metrics included in, in the whole thing, but those are the three main areas. I know there are two sizes of cohorts. What are they and who's in them? Yep. So there's your large volume and your small volume. So the large volume cohorts, these are anyone with 60 or more unique Medicare beneficiaries in the baseline year. And for now, the baseline year is 2022. The easiest way to think about this is the small volume are those agencies that would have been HCAPs exempt. So 59 or fewer beneficiaries in a calendar year. So even if you think you're a small agency with a census of 100 or so, you're going to be in that large volume in the cohort. So in other words, the big corporate entities that are in every state is going to be probably in the same cohort as an agency with 100 census. Yeah. Technically, however, and that can can seem kind of a daunting task, Medicare in the VVP model, they released annual reports every year. And their sixth one just to, that came out in, in May of 23. And they really did, they did not see much of a change from the, the larger entities compared across the state. So even though it seems like it may be a, a daunting task as a smaller agency, you're able to pivot a bit more and make the changes a bit faster that you may need to to make to succeed. So if I were an agency and I'm halfway through this year that I'm fixing to be paid for in two years, where do I even start? First place to start would be to pull the reports that CMS has released. They've released what are called the pre-implementation performance reports or the PIPERS. The first one was released in November 22, the second one in January 23, and the third in April of 2023. The interim performance reports are going to be coming out in the summer 2023, uh, around July. And what these reports will show, every agency's uh, 
as their CCN will have their own report and it will compare you to showing you what your what your score is, as well as what the 25th, the 50th, the 75th, and the 90th percentile scores for each of the measures in VDP. So CMS has said with the Piper reports that the 50th percentile is the preliminary achievement thresholds and the 90th are the preliminary benchmark thresholds. And the report from April, it has the 12 months of OASIS data for the year ending 12 with 31, 22. And 2022 is that baseline year. So you can really have a look at that report and get a very, very good idea of what your baseline is going to be. So you'll have your improvement threshold also. So you can have a look at where you are in 23 now and your OASIS-based measures and see, am I above this or below this? And get a rough idea of your scoring and your points. For the claims-based and the survey-based measures, that's going to be the for the 12 months ending 9-30-2020. So three of the four quarters of uh, the baseline year are going to be available in that report. And what we've done, we've when we look at the report from November, January, and April, we kind of trended the 50th percentile as well as the 90th to see the achievement in the benchmark thresholds. And for just an example for the ACA traits, the achievement threshold for November was 13.8%. You had to be below that to get points. For the April report, it was 13.9%. So 0.1% change from November to April. So not a very large change. So it's a pretty safe bet. You could have a look at that Piper and get a pretty good idea of where do you want to set your targets then. Once you have that Piper report, there is a column to, to look at your percentile ranking. And looking in there will give an idea of where you want to focus first. The lower the percentile ranking, this is the measures you guys really want to have a look at first. Any of those that are in the lower 25th percentile or the 25th to the 49th is really an area to focus on and have a look at those first. And we alluded to this earlier, but for those of us who've blocked out statistics from college, the difference between percentages and percentiles is really important when we're looking at the Piper reports and the IPR reports that Charlie mentioned. So when you're looking at your percentage of performance, say you got a 78% on a given measure, that means that about 78% of your patients improved on that measure. When you're looking at your percentile, if you're in the 75th percentile, that means that your agency did better than 75% of other agencies. So there's a really, really big difference. You can have a very high percentage, but if everybody else does as well, you can be in a low percentile. So Charlie brought up a really, really important point that as you're looking at these reports, you really want to key into your percentiles and see how you rate relative to your competitors, to the other folks in the cohort, and understand that So, in the example that he used, the overall performance didn't change a ton, but as folks are really gearing up and looking at this, we're going to expect that people are going to be improving on the value-based purchasing measures. The percentile, the goal posts are going to be changing a little bit. So you want to make sure you keep tight focus on that and don't get too hung up on your percentages. I know several states were in the demonstration project, and I've heard from agencies that were not in the demonstration project that these states have advantages over them. Do you feel that that's the case? No, not at all. Looking at, so in the model, agencies were compared against their peers in their states. 
and the various thresholds were set at a state level. So we've looked at states and we compared what the achievement thresholds were in the final year, 2021. And the thresholds in Massachusetts and Florida, I think there was a variation of about 15 to 18 percentage points in what one had to score on the management of oral meds. So what that means is an agency that scored very well in Florida may not have scored as well in Massachusetts because the thresholds were vastly uh, different. So with VVP now, we're going from a state level to comparing to everyone on a national level. So, you know, you may have been a rock star in your state. However, now you're being compared to everyone in the, in the nation. So you may not have, you, you may not be at that level at that time. So it does not have an advantage from taking part in the, the model. You mentioned that HCAPs obviously were your, or your patient satisfaction were a third of your score, basically. Tell me about what agencies can do to help improve HCAPs. I think we are really hyper-focused on OASIS and we're hyper-focused on acute care hospitalizations, which honestly haven't moved much over several years. But people probably haven't been focused too much on HCAPs. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I would say that that's accurate. Even from the model in the sixth annual report, that was one of the areas that CMS found didn't really move. The OASIS scores improved, the hospitalizations improved, but the satisfaction scores, they did not really improve. These are also the measures with the narrowest bandwidth between the achievement threshold and the benchmark. And part of the reason is it's hard. It, it is hard to move this. It's um, a very kind of up in the air topic. There's not a quant, it's hard to quant- to quantify. Whereas in the OASIS, you score a three at start of care and a zero at a discharge, the patient improved. Whereas with the surveys, you really need to get the patients to answer, to score you well, because only the most positive responses are going to count. So those responses, that is always or a yes or a nine or a 10 when you rate the agency are the ones that count. And a lot of it comes to how agencies talk to the patients about the survey. We can't tell them how to answer it, but we can prepare them, say, you're going to get a survey. Please take the time to fill it out. That's a really key thing to get that response rate up, to get the patients who had a positive experience to respond. And then making sure that they understand it. So when they get it is really encouraging them, please read all the instructions. Please read through how to score this, answer all of the questions. It really helps us improve. And then providing that customer service training to the staff at all levels of an agency is really, really key. And putting the patient at the center of the care and engaging them up front can really try to move the, to move the needle on the surveys. Now, with all that being said, this is not something that happens overnight. We can begin this process now. We're not going to see the effects of that for four, six, eight months because the staff need to go out to deliver that care. The patients have to get the survey, fill it out, and then it must be all uh, tabulated up. But this should be an ongoing thing to review any of these issues or to deliver that quality of care. The other thing that you want to look at, big picture, and Charlie gave some great examples of what to do specifically for survey responses. If the survey response rate is low, you can talk to your vendor, have them send out more surveys, or make sure that they're going out in the right language. If you're serving a diverse population, you're sending out surveys in English, that's not going to get you very far, which means, by the way, that you need to be capturing the patient's preferred language accurately and making sure that that's mapping 
to your HCAPS vendor. So make sure enough are going out and that they're they're getting to the people that you're serving in the right language. I think an important part of that too is I think a lot of our field clinicians don't even know what's in that survey. They don't even know what questions are asked in that survey. And like Charlie's point, we can't tell them what questions are going to be, but we can certainly cue them in, right? We can say, the word medication a lot because there was a lot of questions on medications or we can ask about customer service. You know, did someone answer the phone and were they polite when they answered the phone? I think it's educating also our field clinicians on the survey questions in and of themselves and how to operationalize some of that. So have you seen some of that, John? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things, and, and as we've all mentioned a couple of times, you, you can't coach the patient by using the exact survey questions, but you sure can pull some keywords and phrases out of the survey. Again, making sure your clinicians know what's even being asked in the first place, and then peppering certain words and phrases in as you're documenting, hopefully in real time in the home, letting the patient know I'm I'm documenting so that our whole team can stay informed and up to date on your care. That's not a phrase that people use a lot in you know real-time semantics, but it is on the survey. Having your therapists, when they call the patient to let them know when they're coming for their visit, let them know, you know, you want to make sure that you pre-medicate because I want to treat you gently during our visit and make sure you're making, pro- you know, just peppering a couple, look and see the measurement is broken up into five different domains. Two of them are just single questions. How would you rate the agency? Would you recommend the agency? The other three are groupings of multiple questions. So break those domains down into the various questions, figure out where your opportunities are to improve. And then you can pepper, I hate the word scripting, but really coach your staff to to utilize some of those words and phrases regularly in their visits. And that that will make it more transparent to your patient what you're doing. They might not even realize what you're doing for them from visit to visit to visit, but it will make it more memorable for them so that when they get that survey a couple weeks after discharge, they'll be able to answer accurately. Yes, they did treat me gently. Yes, they talked to me about when to take my meds and what the side effects were and why I'm taking my meds, all, all of that good stuff. And then also along with that, to add that in, is like it's at all levels. So one of the pieces is the scheduling. Did someone call before they would come? Right at the beginning, when you get that referral, if you're doing a welcome the call, is asking the patient, when do you want to be called? Some patients, they don't want to be called at 8 a.m. because they're not awake. They're more of a night owl. So they want to be called the day before a, a visit. You don't want to have patients that you're calling and constantly are leaving a voicemail and you're never able to get a hold of them because they're simply asleep. Whereas if we called them at three o'clock in the afternoon or five in the evening to schedule a visit for the next day, they'll be aware of it. So identifying that upfront is when they want to be called and what method. Maybe it's to arrange everything through a family member because they, they can't hear well, so they don't like to talk on the phone. Something like that might help. And then leave things in writing as much as you can so they can reference it back. I also think that, hey, I may call tonight for a visit tomorrow, but something happens tomorrow because it always happens, right? And it's important that we remember to call the patient and say, hey, I've had a delay and I'm coming, you know, at four o'clock instead of two o'clock because I've had some kind of emergency or whatever. I stopped and ate, you know, lunch at Starbucks, you know, whatever you want to tell them. I don't know. (laughs) All right. So anything else? operationally that you would advise agencies, you know, six months into our first year of things to do? Yeah, I would just caution against trying to boil the ocean. This is not the moment to try to do everything everywhere all at once. I said it's a great movie, but it's a terrible business strategy. Look at your Piper reports 
look at what your percentile rankings are and really prioritize carefully what you're going to put your effort into because you know your staff are only going to be able to focus on a few things at once they've got it coming at them from all angles so don't try to hammer every single one of these measures look at where your greatest opportunities are and and key on on those with with a great prioritization strategy charlie any parting words from you yeah just echo the what John has said is when you're looking at the Piper report, looking at that percentile, but then also be aware of where you're going to have the biggest impact. Everything in BBP is not equally weighted. Acute care hospital hospitalizations is 26.25% of that total performance score. So that one measure could have up to 26 points. All the age caps are at 30 points. So you want to weigh, do we focus on reducing hospitalizations? Do we weigh customer service? With the, the caveat of if we're focusing on the customer service, we may not see the impact of that for several months. Whereas acute care hospitalizations, we may be able to see an impact on that in one to two months there. So just to have a look and be aware of what all of the weightings are in each of the measures. If you're going to pick one of the M1800 items, look at how much that you can gain from that versus focusing on the customer service piece in the HCAPs. True. I think we get hyper-focused again on those functionals because it is immediate money and also future money, but M1400 may be a better choice rather than the M1800s. But anyway, well, thanks guys for this time. Hopefully we've given the listeners some great tips for getting ready for VBP. If you want to listen to previous episodes, please join us on your favorite platform. Look for us at Symmetry Health 360 and hope to see you again soon. Thank you.